Hi, this is Kimberly McKay with A Novel Thought. Today, my guest is John Schwab, an American actor living in England. John is an award-winning producer, musician, and writer, among other things. His filmography is so diverse. In fact, he's done everything from voiceovers for Wife Swab and Dr. Jeff, Rocky Mountain Vet, acted in hit TV shows and film like Trust, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, and Zero Duck Thirty, just to name a few. He's also written some shorts and created a social media theater site, Curtain Call, which allows theater professionals to create profiles, connect, and collaborate, which is really cool. John studied English at Durham University, but one of the high schools he attended where I also met him is Kubasaki in Okinawa, Japan. Both of our fathers are Marines. Yeah, he's clapping in the background right now. I am too. Both of our fathers are Marines, which meant multiple schools with as many hellos as goodbyes. John, this tall, lanky, happy, smiley guy who was more like a brother to me, became a staple at my house. And although I would have liked to have thought it was because of my dazzling personality, I think it was more from my mother's chocolate chip cookies. It was a combination of the both. I mean, it was Kim and cookies. I mean, come on. You know, what better combination can you get? Apparently, that's the best because you and a few others kept coming over. And I'm like, hey, I'm a hit with these cookies. I got to keep this up. All the cute guys are at my house. So John is also a writing partner of mine on a script, which we'll get to later. But I wanted to start, John, with your film career. First of all, all of us dragons are really proud of you. You have a filmography on IMDb that talks about what you've done, uh, over 90 acting credits, not to mention all the directing, producing, and other things you've been blessed with. You're always entertaining in school, so it comes to no surprise that you'd end up here. So tell me what inspired you to become an actor. Well, you know, I kind of fell into the very simple trap of going to the theater as a young child and watching The Princess and the Pea. And I was, I remember sitting in almost like the second row, maybe, and I was maybe. And I watched this incredible show with the lights and I was in a dark room with everybody else and the the lights and the smoke, the cracked oil and the dry ice and this princess slept on this pea and there was an impossibly high mountain of mattresses. I was like, how is she going to sleep on that? I mean, I couldn't believe, I I was so frightened for her, but I was like, I just desperately wanted her to feel the pea, sleep like having a bad night sleep. I think that was just that it sparked something in me. And then I just started doing um, school shows and, and that just carried on through high school. And, you know, even at Kubasaki, I was, I did the, you know, went on the Far East drama festival mm-hmm. and competition. And it was the first time I went to Korea. I just, I love performing. I come from a family that liked to play music. All of us Schwab kids played an instrument or multiple instruments. Dad was always singing. Mom, you know, there was always music in the car. There was always something. So I didn't, I don't know. I, I wanted to go to Florida State and do the musical theater program, but I met my wife. Her name is Tamsin, but we call her Tat. I met her while my dad was stationed in South Korea. I was taking a year out of high school before I went to university and I met her. And so my plans changed. And that's when I went to Durham University and then just got an agent my last year at university. And, 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 you know, we had a little chat beforehand, you know, how hard it is to get an agent. I just jumped at the chance and I started working. You know, you talked about blessed. Kim, blessed is I am grateful. Like you're talking to a very grateful man, not always aware of when I should be not perfect Mm -hmm. as much as I try and tell my kids I am, but I am absolutely blessed. I've been blessed to have people in my life that keep me grounded, but the opportunities that have come my way, I just working straight away. And that was in my first professional job was in Elvis, the musical. We went around the country and then went into the West End and then the Rue Shakespeare Company got me and I mean, I played over a hundred theaters around the country. And then I was in the West End again on and off for about six years in that show while playing other kinds of things and then started filming and, and TV and, and whatnot. 
you know, and, and I've got something I'm not really allowed to talk about. It's not been announced yet, but it's pretty, it's pretty good news, Kim. You're um, teasing me now. I want to know. I'll be doing something later this year into next year on a big series, but I can't say anything about it yet. Well, that, not officially. You and I will talk about it afterwards. <laughs> okay. Well, you and I will talk, but officially for the show, pre, a pre-congratulations then. Um, my next question was, what inspired the move to England? I didn't realize that you met her pre-university. So how did that go down? Because Tamsin, for anyone listening, is amazing. She's beautiful and gorgeous. She's got this sweet little accent. Amazing. Yes, she does. Yeah, she's um, so her father's in the British Army. He was a brigadier general in the British Army. He was the defense attache for the British defense, the forces out there in South Korea. My dad worked for the chief of staff on naval forces in Korea. So they worked down the corridor. So Brigadier Morgan and Colonel Schwab worked together. You know, they, they, Admiral Mathis and Brigadier Morgan worked together. We ran in the same circle. So I met Tat just kind of because all of us kids were on years out and, you know, we didn't have anything to do. So we met at the bars, both out in Seoul and Itaewon, and then on base. I mean, I guess I'm going to have to be completely honest with you. I'm, I saw Tat. There's a certain street in Itaewon in Seoul, Korea. It's called Hooker Hill. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine why. So I saw Tat, and I promise you, Kim, I swear this is the truth. My brother will corroborate this story. I saw Tat walking up Hooker Hill with her friends. She wasn't a hooker. She's not a hooker. She was. They just had the best bars on Hooker Hill. And t- I turned to my brother. And I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. You did not. I did. And about two weeks later, we were at the embassy club in um, in Seoul. And she came in with somebody. I, I, there was another girl I didn't know. They came in and we were dancing on the floor. We weren't dancing together. I was dancing with other friends. And her friend pushed her into me. And I turned around. I made this joke. And I won't swear, but I did swear when I said it. I said, don't you ever freaking do that again. <laughs> you know, I was being funny. And she looked at me, Kim, like, who are you? <laughs> and I was, I just thought, oh, oh. And she walked away and I thought, TJ, that's that's the girl I was going to marry. And I just did that. And the next week, and this is it, you know, this was meant to happen. Tat and I were meant to be together. The next week, she came into a bar that we opened for military brats who weren't of age yet to drink in anywhere else other than the embassy. So wow. we started a club called the DMZ. And it was a bunch of us who were 18 and 19. We couldn't drink on base. And our parents were so happy that we were starting a bar where they knew where we'd be. They didn't care. Yeah. So she came in on the opening night of that. And she said, her friend said, oh, this is this is my friend Tamsin. She said, you <gasps> were very rude to me last week. Oh, no. Yes, I was. And I'm very sorry. And we became such good friends after that. And then she went on a little traveling for about three, four months before she went to university. And I asked for a picture of her from her brother's like, can I just have a picture of your sister? Aww. Like I kept it in my car. So whenever I was driving and I wasn't going out with her at this time, but when she left, I missed her so much. And I didn't know it, but she had a picture of me Stop. in her book. And when she came back, I was on stage rehearsing something at the theater there for the expats, you know, on base theater. And when she walked in, I just, I knew it. That was it. We were, we'll be married. We were married 26 years this year. Still going strong, you know? Yeah, I great. love July because it rolls around and you and I both have a wedding anniversary. Yeah. So I, I know when yours is coming, it reminds me that mine is coming. <laughs> so I'm like, yay. That's the good thing about like Facebook is that we're able to keep up with what we're doing. I mean, your your guys' anniversary this year was so 
freaking cute. It was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, we renewed our 20 years. So we just did a quick little Corona renewal in the back of our, our yard. Nobody could hear it. We did a Facebook Live, but whatever. We knew what we were saying to one another. So that's all that mattered. We knew what you were doing too. We could hear. Well, let's take a quick dive back into your career. Yep. Tell me about Curtain Call. What inspired the concept? And tell me how it has evolved. Pretty neat deal that you've started. It's very unique. Thank you, Kim. So it, it started with ages ago, 15 years ago, I had an idea to build an IMDb for theater and then didn't do anything about it because, I mean, I'm sure, Kim, you're a creative person. You have ideas all the time. You right. kind of bank them. You put them away. I have a notebook next to the bed. You know, if I have something and now, well, I carry this phone around with me all day. So if I have, if I hum a melody or I have an idea, but anyway, kind of clearing up bits and pieces from the house and and I came across some photos of me in the Reduce Shakespeare Company backstage when Jack was uh, three years old. A friend of mine, Paul Winter, a fantastic photographer, came back and took some photos. And, and Jack said, oh, have you got any other photographs of the shows you're in? And I thought at that point I had been working for, I can't tell you how many years in the West End and didn't have a single original picture backstage, really kind of a reportage kind of thing to say, this is your career. And I thought, this is not right. So I called my friend, Matt Humphrey, who is a genius portrait photographer. And I said, I've got this idea to do a book backstage of a season in London. Hmm. And we can call it, you know, we came up with the name Curtain Call because we thought everybody deserved to take a bow. In the back of the book, we have 40 pages of anyone who was involved in any production. We, we thought, Kim, if we would get 12, if we thought if we get a dozen shows that let us do this, We'll be very happy. We ended up doing five times that number, 60 shows we visited, and we produced a 420-page coffee table book, wow. sold wow. out, you know, insanely reviewed. And from that, we built the website, supporting website that just grew into this wonderful website that let people have profiles and share what they've been doing and kind of like an IMDb for theater. It lets people be bound by what shows they've done, the, the credits they've had, the shows they've been in, the theaters they've worked at, who they work with. And, you know, and that's still going. It's still going today. We're still, we call it ideating. Uh, it's a, it's yeah. an entrepreneurial term. And we're continually trying to improve the service. And, you know, it's interesting times. Theater isn't going to happen here until at least September next year, 12 months away from no theater. Thank God I have a voiceover career. So I continue to do voiceovers and, and uh, I continue to do filming. So I've been doing a lot of auditions and things. And that is my next question. Being an American across the pond, you have an extensive voiceover background, everything from Teletubbies to hit shows, video games. So I got my age because I was in Elvis the Musical. I didn't even, Kim, I didn't even know what a voiceover was. When I started out, I, honestly, I didn't. I was in Elvis the Musical, and at the end of one of the shows, somebody was backstage and, and said, do you have a voiceover agent? And I said, what's a voiceover? And I said, you know, when you listen to a commercial or on the television or radio, and I said, oh, yeah. I said, no, no, I don't, I don't, I've never done it. I don't know what a voiceover agent is. And she says, well, I'm a voiceover agent. You should get your showreel done. And Because at that point, I played about 12 different people in that play, all with different accents. Wow. So... I basically got my voiceover reel, not again, not straight away. I'm not, because I'm not perfect. It took a while for me to do it. They just said, John, get your reel, please. I did the reel. And the next week I did my first ever voiceover with Kelsey Grammer doing Schweppes commercial over Stop here. Stop it. Um, and it was crazy. So then, and, and then it was off. But, you know, when it comes to being an American over here, there is a, there's a group of us. We have, there's a North American Actors Association over here. It's now called AAUK, which is, you know, it's, it, it isn't what it says <laughs> It isn't what it says on a day. The American actors UK, not alcoholics and novels UK. <laughs> 
So, uh, but there is a group of us and there are a lot of Canadians and a lot of Americans and, and it's a good group. And a lot of production comes through here, Kim, because of the tax rebates they have. Star Wars, mm-hmm. all the massive Batman films, Warner Brothers, they all film over here because there is a 20% guaranteed rebate. So if, let's just say that your talent wage bill is $50 million. You immediately can take 10 million off that because it's going to be given to you by the British government to make sure that you come and film over here. So credits in films where the production is overseas like that. That's interesting. Yeah. I do a lot of day player stuff, Kim. I do a lot of things that come through. So, you know, you mentioned I have 90 filming credits on IMDb and it's right, but I love the opportunity to go into an established show or a movie that's been filming, go in as a day player and go in and kick the doors down, act my socks off for a couple of days and get the credit and get seen and and go on to the next thing because I, I like to do so many different things that when to do something like Trust, which was nine weeks of filming in Rome, but I couldn't stay there for nine weeks because I've got a family and I've got other things. So I was just flying back and forth, it racking up the air miles. So there, you know, there are serious regulars things that come around and there are day player things that come around. There's a lot of stuff for, for Americans over here. If you are a young American actor and you're looking to to do something, you know, I would say look at getting a, a an artist visa over here here. You know, look at going to school over here and getting a temporary visa. Find a friend to marry, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Not that you're recommending that, but but just it's a way. I'm married for love. I'm married for love because I married my best friend, you know? Well, 26 years later, I think you're pretty safe to say it's the real deal. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be a heck of a... (laughs) That'd be a heck of a contract if it weren't. (laughs) That's so funny. So I was going to ask you of all the projects you've worked on, you mentioned a few, what are a couple of your favorites? And you can categorize them, the new term that I learned from you, day player and major film or TV. So, you know, Kim, I've not always been confident in my fields. I am blessed with a, there. okay, it's going to sound you could just I'm blessed with a big ego, but low self-esteem. Okay, now by it. big ego, I mean that I believe in my talent. I do believe that I belong, but as soon as I'm in the room, my self-esteem hits rock bottom. I feel like I'm an imposter. It's really difficult. And it's only recently that I got over this uh, or started to get better at it. I Listen, I love doing Reduce Shakespeare Company. By far my favorite thing I've ever done on stage. It's, it's just, it made me who I am. I mm-hmm. absolutely love the family of the Reduce Shakespeare Company brothers and sisters, and I see them all the time. When it comes to television, I've just, I, I have a, I'm, I've done an episode of The Queen's Gambit, which comes out on Netflix next month. And that was a phenomenal, beautiful, like that was just a great shoot in Berlin. But I would have to go back to trust. And I, I'll tell you why. It's because I adore Danny Boyle. I worked with him on a voice job. I, I worked on the Steve Jobs film right at the very beginning. I did some voiceover stuff for him. But I, I got to do the table read and I'm sitting there with Hilary Swank and Brendan Fraser, myself, Danny Boyle, and Simon Beaufoy. There are three Oscar winners in the room right there. And, you know, and Brendan Fraser, who I just grew up watching. And then there's me. And Kim, I cannot tell you, I felt like the biggest imposter because I was going in to be a series regular on this massive TV show. And I had never really done that before. And then we got to filming and Danny Boyle never kind of said anything. We got to the last day of filming Danny's block because I had another block to do with a different director. And Danny said, come walk with me, John. And we were sitting there in the hills outside of Rome, uh, outside this beautiful Italian villa. It's freaking magic hour, Kim. And we're walking along these fields of, you know, olive grove. 
And he's got his arm around me. He said, John, I've been watching you and I can see it. I want to tell you something. There are a lot, a lot of great actors on this series. You're surrounded by them, but you're also one of them, John. That's really you're nice. A great actor. Start believing it. And I literally, tears. Like, and it wasn't like I was trying, I did, wasn't, I wasn't asking for that, but I've, I've bawled like, and he was, I didn't mean to make you cry. I said, no, it's just, that's you're you're right. I mean, thank you. But yeah, that's where I am. Like I'm way down there. And um, you're making me tear I'm, up right now, John. <laughs> but for that reason, that's probably the most biggest project in my life. It took me 20 years to get there, Kim. It took me 20 years to believe that I belonged. And since then I haven't looked back and it's, you know, it's taken that long so since trust I I've done really well. Again, I'm grateful. I have been blessed. And I, we talked about asking for things and I get on my knees. I'm not ashamed to say it. I get on my knees every morning and I ask for a, a day that I get what I need and not what I want. And that's all I ask for because it's important for me to do that because it sets my, I used to not do this, Kim, but I swear by it. It sets my day up. It just keeps me right. And I, mm -hmm. if I forget to do it now, I don't do it every day. Like I said, I do it every day, but I, I, there are times when I forget. So I write a diary every day, Kim. That's I nice. Write, I will say I got on my knees and prayed by the bed or, oh, I forgot. So I did it by the sofa. I will <laughs> go to my diary. I was like, oh, I didn't pray today. Oh, <laughs> that's why this happened. And that's why, you know, I'm not asking for anything. I'm not asking for anything other than can I get through this day given what I need and not what I want. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's nice, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I forgot to say my favorite film, I just like getting eaten at the beginning of Jurassic World. Why not? <laughs> there, there was nothing There was nothing in it. Although I know the cast director, they said, John, would you like to get eaten by a dinosaur in the beginning of Jurassic World? I was like, I am there. Yes. <laughs> Put me in it. And it was great. Oh, my He's like, gosh. Dude. Yes. Yeah. What's fun. funny is I watched it and I didn't know that you got eaten. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, because I consider you one of my best friends from high school. You're more like my brother than anything. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm getting ready to watch my buddy John. And oh, my gosh, he just got eaten. It was amazing. <laughs> I love it. Why not? You kind of touched on this, but every artist grows evolves. Tell me about your progression, what that looks like, and what would you tell your younger self? I'm sure you kind of already just covered this, have more confidence. And let me touch on that yeah. real quick, because you are humble, and I'm glad your confidence is growing, but I see a lot of actors that lose that. So stay grounded, my friend, because it's a mixture of charm and humble that make you very special. Bless you. Thank you for saying that. I would love to go back to my younger self. You know, okay, no, I'm going to say I wouldn't love to go back because I am who I am because of the journey I've had, Correct. right? I could just whisper in my, my younger ear and say, you're enough, John. Mm -hmm. You are enough. Because you will still have doubt, which is fine. Work with it. You know, I think that would help me get over because I still, the progression is you believe yourself in yourself a little bit more every day when you, because you get rejected all the time. And Kim, you, I mean, come on, you've written email after email. You get rejected. I know that rejection is when you're creative and you mm -hmm. offer something up, it's a subjective offering. Correct. So people can go, nope, don't like it. Or no, it's not me. And you kind of go, because I am the ultimate people pleaser. I do want people to really like me. I don't want to do something and have people feel worse off for having met me. Now, to, to quote Maya Angelou, I want to leave people better off for having quote, met me, yeah. having watched something that I've done. So my career progression is just starting off doing everything I could, doing literally everything I could, not for free, because I don't believe in free work. If it's going to cost you money, you shouldn't say yes. If they can cover your travel expenses and feed you and make sure that you're insured, do it. So I've done a lot of stuff for free where I haven't profited from it, 
other than the experience, but I haven't been out of pocket. And I kept doing these things. And, and then also I've kept a diary for a long time of everyone that I've worked with. I'm constantly learning from myself. I'm going, oh, I could have done that differently. You know, I, I, so now go into drama schools and I teach kids the art of uh, like successful networking and effective networking and um, audition technique and preparing for uh, interviews and auditions. And my big thing is like, guys, the job is the bonus. It is the bonus. Your job as an actor or any creative person is to be completely prepared when you go in for the audition. That is it. That is your job. If you are projecting and you're looking at yourself on the red carpet, you know, those stories happen, but they're not the common cause. They're the exceptional cause. Mm -hmm. So I just make sure that when I go into a room, I want people to know my name for the right reasons. And it's like, wow, wasn't John prepared? Wow, he came in and absolutely nailed that. I go in and make sure that I give casting directors and directors and producers a problem. I have had huge breaks in my career because I gave somebody a problem. True West, there's a poster of True West on my wall and it was a, a revival here. And it was a massive uh, revival up to the Sheffield Crucible with two very well-known actors here. And uh, the Saul Kimmer is supposed to be in his 50s. I was in my late 30s when I did this. I mean, maybe just 40. Uh, yeah, no, God, late 30s. And <laughs> and the, the director got me back in. He said, John, I've got a real problem. I shouldn't be wanting to hire you, but you just came in and you you were the guy. I was like, well, you know, I saw him as a hotshot producer, not like uh, not like an older producer who just came out to find some. I was like, I came in as the hustler. He's like, yeah, you certainly did. And I, I like that vibe. And I also went in the dark money. You know, I went in and the guy said, you know, I played the worst of the worst dark money. It's a BBC series about horrible film producer who takes advantage of a young actor young a young boy and pays off the parents and he's horrible 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 person he is described as mid-60s balding everything else in the script when i did the table read uh, which we do a lot i do a lot of table reads the directors got me in there were the director and the producer and they said oh, we've got a real problem john because <laughs> why should we cast you i said you should cast me because the guy that you suspect is the person is never the person is exactly. the guy you the most dangerous type of this type of person out there so that kind of belief those and that's again that's after you can see this is after trust these are things that are happening afterwards that's my progression I am yeah. interested in knowing when projects come to you, like this last one you just mentioned, when certain things give you the heebie-jeebies, like that type of character, is that something you're like, I'm doing it because it's outside my character or am I not doing it because it's just something I don't believe in? How do you determine or... Such a good question to ask because a lot of actors will go just take, yeah, they take the job. You know, it's an offer. It's a, you never say no. I would say as an actor, any actors listening out, no is the only power you have in this business. You don't have the power until you get to a certain level. You don't have the power of how much money you're going to make. You don't have the power of which trailer you're going to get if you're going to fly first class or coach, you don't have that power. The only power you have is the word no. And um, sometimes it's very, very good to exercise that power. But when scripts come and this script came and wow, you know, and I just finished a film a couple of years ago called The Current Wars. I'm in it for, honestly, I, I filmed something and this is again, you know, side, side note, I'm in it for about a second and a half. I had to learn this entire monologue and everything with Michael Shannon. You can sometimes be in something and it ends up at the cutting floor. Doesn't matter. I got paid, got the credit, got the job. <laughs> it was fine. You know, and that was a Harvey Weinstein pick. So I've been getting legal letter after legal letter after legal because I'd never got residuals or paid all 
all these, you know, bits. And it was just because my performance is now owned by some lawyer somewhere. But anyway, so it was part Harvey Weinstein, part Michael Jackson, part, you know, this, this character. And I was reading and I said to town like this, and I told her what it was about. Tess says, you can't take this job. And I said, I, I shouldn't. I, like, I know this is going to be difficult, but I have to because it's an opportunity to just shine a light on a character like this and make him the guy next door who you'd never think, you know, is is capable of doing this. And Tat had to go to the kid's school. She went to Sammy's school because Sammy was in primary school and she had to say, look, John is doing this part. I have to talk to the principal. Wow. And the principal said, I've been teaching for 20 years and I've never <laughs> had this conversation with somebody. <laughs> So you take that kind of role. I play a lot of horrible people on stage. It's just, they're fun to play. But I, I love playing the funny, charming guys, of course. But also, they're just, they're just anything that's written well, Kim, that comes up. You, you know as a writer when you've written a nice scene and it comes off well. When you read something like that. Right. I mean, look, you know what I think of Connie Kylie. I read the script the other day. We had this conversation. And I know it's good because I cry every time I read that final chapter chapter that final scene that makes me I, happy. Cry, I cry and I can't help it I honestly can't help it so let's touch on finding Kylie and I'll get back to a couple other questions tell our listeners what finding Kylie is and well, finding Kylie is first of all it's a fantastic novel by uh I wouldn't say first time writer at that point because um you just you're a writer <clears throat> and I got a little choked up when I was talking about this sorry guys and it is a searingly honest and truthful and uh, deep book about a wonderful, I'm going to talk, I'm going to give that synopsis of Finding Kylie and then I'll talk about the project, but uh, about a girl who gets assaulted and as a child, as a result of that assault and is paid off. And it's the diary, which slays me. It's the diary. Um, there's no spoiler risk because it happens right at the beginning of the book. You read the diary of what happened and Chastity, her daughter, kind of takes this voyage of discovery. And learns about this undying, unerring love of a mother and a child. And that's what gets me, is the mother through it all. And, and it's a beautiful, beautiful book that just... I loved. And at that point was doing a bit more screenwriting. And then you reached out to me and said, John, would you help me do this book? And I was like, oh my God. I, I was so happy you asked me, Kim, because I love the story and I loved doing that. It was so much fun. Yeah. I've never collaborated with somebody like that. We, really? We divvied up chapters. I, it was crazy. I think I started with the first chapter of the book, then you started with an opening scene. So we just went every other chapter after that, which was so fun because you're so tenderhearted. And that's why I thought of you because of your heart. Wow. God bless you. I mean, I was it was one of my most fun it's it, it, not a lot of people write you know screenplays or then write series because that screenplay we we found it very hard you know correct me if i'm wrong to tell that story in less than 120 pages you know and that's a long script let me you know shawshank redemption is like 110 pages and that's mm -hmm. a long movie you know we're talking about something that should be uh 90 pages you know 95 and we just couldn't do it and so that use came up with the idea of the tv series and i was like yes and we looked and saw if there were defining moments and when you could break it up and there were were it just it really did fit it's a perfect aristotelian structure you've got your beginning you've got your middle you got mm -hmm. your end dramatic rise and actually there is no dramatic fall because it ends on a note where you're going what happens yeah. next even though there's closure with the character yeah. in a certain way what happens next and so yeah. it leads itself into an accidental series i have a question for you the uh the boy in question john <laughs> 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 Sorry about that, dude. I wasn't thinking about that when I named him. You know, he, 
I didn't hate him, you know, and this is the crazy thing. Like, and this is why, again, this is why it's so successful in my eyes and believable. I did not hate him. I somehow didn't like him and I wanted to punch him in the face, Mm -hmm. but it was a massive butt there. And that's why it just, that's why I just think it's such a good story, Kim, because you have, you know, you've crafted something where the characters are, you know, that you can connect with them. We're sitting here connecting over video and we live in a connect culture these days. And I find myself when I, when I read these stories, read your stories is that you can connect with the characters so quickly. They're quick reads and and you're, and you're in. And and even when you meet John for the first time and you're like, Oh, I just, uh," and you kind of, Oh, I can't, Oh, I can't punch him in the face. I know. I actually had someone call me drunk one night telling me he was angry because John, the attacker. So sorry Mm. again, but you do play the characters of like those kind of guys. So really, I'm, I'm, I'm down. So it's a character. I'm, yeah. <laughs> but he called me drunk one night and he was like, I hate John. Why would you make him likable? He was drinking and thinking about it. And I'm like, oh, OK, sorry. But the whole premise is redemption. You know, we all fall short. Yeah. But that was that's where and, and, and you have been you have been pushing Kylie for a long time. And it takes it. Listen, I. I'm friends with it. I've tried to get you. I don't know if I've got you in touch. And Janet will listen to this. Janet Jones will listen to this episode. <laughs> um, she's a podcast fiend as well. But she is fantastic. And she she pushes. She's had projects that are 15 years old that she's wow. still pushing. And they will get made because people still enjoy reading them. And they stick. And it takes one person to believe, Kim. One person to really just take a punt on you. Take a bat and go, you know what? I like this story. We can work with the story. Let's tell it well. Yeah, I think it's all about timing, too. Like you said, sometimes the timing. And with the whole Me Too culture, you mentioned Harvey Weinstein. I always call him Harvey Wienerstein. Um, With the whole Me Too culture and now, you know, things that have been happening lately with supposed secret list. This is a culture that has been opening the eyes to what's been around for years and years and years and years. And so this story of assault and the dominoes that have fallen and the, this daughter that has been left to pick up the pieces and become the survivor her mother never could. There are so many women and men that go through this under the radar. All I want to do is peel back that layer and help people heal. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. I have experience, you know, knowing these kind of people and uh, experiencing things that no one in their life should. And it's, it's horrible. And what you've done is, is brilliant. And it, it's a great thing. I think that's why, you know, you get so involved and, and wrapped up in this is that it happens a lot and we just don't know about it. And I think it's, this is why I want it to succeed as well is because it just, the shining a light and go, actually but hold on kylie was okay she was fine wasn't she and her daughter turned out all right and and cheryl her friend they were they were cool yeah they're cool because they have to it's called survival and you kind of get on with it but you know secrets keep you sick and that's what people need to know and and your story tells really well you're beautiful that's a beautiful line i'm gonna keep that in my little arsenal so let's (laughs) switch gears I have a question. If there was one actor you'd like to work beside, who would it be and why? And if there was another industry professional, producer, director, whatever person comes to mind in both veins, who would it be and why? I adore Stephen Tobolowsky. He is, uh, if you don't know who he is, he's been in every film you've ever seen. He was uh, the insurance salesman in Groundhog Day. You know, Ned, Ned Ryerson, (laughs) that guy. That's Um, that guy? Yeah. I mean, you look up his IMD credits. I think he's got over 300 or something stupid it's uh it's always sunny in philadelphia is that you know he's in uh, memento at westworld everything he's different in everything he does and he's solid he's rock solid he has a fantastic podcast called the tobolowski files 
And I reached out to him and I got to produce his Edinburgh show. So he did a, a show at the Edinburgh French Festival, which is a live show of his podcast. And I got to produce that along with David Naylor and Newbury Productions. And it was great, but I would love to work alongside him just because I just, I think he is incredible. Um, Hope Davis. Oh my God. I would love to work uh, alongside her. I would love, there are a few stage actors here uh, in the UK Sam Mendes, I'd love to be directed by Sam Mendes because you see the stuff that he produces on stage. He he kind of sees the big stage and you, you, he can draw you to an area of the stage that you're not even supposed to be looking at. He just gets great performances out of his actors. So, I mean, they're so, oh my gosh, that is a really tough question. I'm telling, my mind's telling me, shut up, John, shut up, John. <laughs> I would just literally go on and on. I'd love to work with Denzel Washington. Oh, I oh. would too. He's on my list. He's on the list. He's on everybody's list. He's a freaking rock star. That's all I'm going to say. You know, Tat worked on a show called uh, Friday Night's all right, which was a talk show presented by the soccer player, football, you know, English football, Ian Wright. And she was the researcher. So she got to write the questions for all the guests that came on and got to look after them on the day. So she got to look after Denzel Washington wow. and Cher and all these other lovely people that came on that show. But Denzel, she said that Denzel was one of the nicest people she had ever met. And I can believe it. I can believe it. So that's high <laughs> praise coming from Tat because she's around you every day. So oh, thank you. Thank you. Is she in the room? No, I can see, I could see Sammy just about I hope he's not going to go jump on the trampoline. <laughs> well, it's nice. You've got this little back studio in your backyard. It's a great thing. It's a wonderful place to, as a writer, again, Kim, I keep, I keep saying this, but as a creative person, you sometimes need a, a cave. And I come out here to do my podcast or I, I work out here. There's, you know, my son is a musician. He's about to start Academy of Contemporary Music in Guilford on the singer-songwriter. So he's in the middle of recording his album. So this is the place where we create. And we know that when you step through these doors, don't bring business in here. Right. Don't bring crap and you can you know just leave it out there because in here you've got to keep this like i'm gonna go out to the west wing we call it the west wing <laughs> we'll come out to the west wing and and work that's you know? so and, cute and so that's the meaning behind the name west wing then yes so yes of course because you know jack is is part of a collaborative you know his friend brad they they write songs or have performed sometimes under west wing in england if you have a house that's on its own you can name it really so yes this house didn't have a name. So I said, we should call it the White House. And we'd have the White House in London. It'd be a brilliant. We'd have the White House in Bexley Heath, London. Sammy said, no, Sammy. No, we can't do that, Daddy. My friends will laugh at me. And I said, fine, we'll call it the Off-White House. <laughs> Which he didn't say. So I said, fine, if we can't do that, my garden office is going to be called the West Wing. So that's kind of leads into my next question. As far as COVID-19, how have you guys been keeping busy? What's it been yeah. like in England compared to, you know, over here across the pond? We were 10 days behind Broadway in locking down all theaters and everything stopped. All live events stopped. And, you know, I just typically, Schwab, I had a dream of doing a play online or something because I, I can't stand still, Kim. I'm not good. You want to see me bad? Put me in a room and tell me I'm not allowed to do anything. <laughs> I turn into a horrible person. I, I, I'm not good at just sitting still. I don't have ADD or ADHD. Um, it's not that. And I'm, I'm not meaning to belittle those conditions. But what I do have is an overactive imagination and a willing to act on it. And so I thought, you know, so two days after uh, after it was announced, I said to, to Matt, my partner at Curtain Calls, like, we got to, well, let's do an online play. By the Monday, we announced it in the press that we were doing a play on Zoom, that we were selling tickets. It had never 
never been done before. Wow. We were the first people and we caught Kevin Wilson PR. He was the PR behind Six the Musical. The night Broadway closed was their opening night. Kevin was coming straight off of that. So he was feeling it. And it's what turned, what we wanted to say is we just wanted to be able to pay people in the theater and say, look, guys, it's not dead. Theater's not dead. It's just changed. Let's do something so we can support. So we announced a day we were going to do it. We didn't have a cast. We didn't have a play. We didn't have a crew. We had nothing other than the idea to do it. So Matt just started calling, you know, David Morrissey, who has played the governor in The Walking Dead. Denise Goff, who is an Olivier and Tony Award winning, uh, she's Olivier Award winning and Tony nominated actress. Um, Jenna Coleman, who plays Victoria in Victoria and wow. Ed Stockard and Maggie Service. But we, so we got them together and we, you know, we, we, why not call England's most prolific living playwright, Sir Tom Stoppard? Why not? So they, we, we were going to do this play. You've got a play called A Separate Piece. We'd like to do it as part of the thing. And he was like, great, fine. You have my blessing as long as it doesn't live on the internet forever. He's like, it's, it's theater. It's going to be one night only. And so we, we did it and we sold tickets. Wow. Sold a thousand tickets. We donated to charity. All the actors, everybody got paid and all the profits went to charity. And it got reviewed by over 50 publications all around the world. And it was the first time. So that's the first thing we did. Did wow. it locked up? Yeah. How did I not know this? You know what? Probably because I put things out here and there and everywhere. But you know, it wasn't when it came down to the marketing. It was possibly Kim the most intense period of focus that I've had in a long, long time. And we, so the marketing, um, you know, PR guys, um, Kevin Wilson did an incredible job and I just left it to him. So I wasn't doing a show. And there's so many people that said, why didn't I know about it? You know, it was one night only. And it, we sold out the equivalent of the theater Royal Haymarket here in London. And we did that and, and locked down. So we, we, you know, we, we also created an online survey uh, for freelancers to find out how they were feeling, how they were doing, because no one was asking us how we were. We partnered up with an advocacy group over here called Freelancers Make Theater Work and Stage Directors UK. And uh, we put out a, the biggest survey that has ever been held in the history of, of the creative industry over here, over 8,000 replies and people, which is insane. The last government survey put out got around 1,100 responses and we got 8,000. Wow. And through that, we really had Lindsay Turner, an amazing director here, lobbied hard with the uh, Department of Culture and Media Services and said, look, here's the impact that this is having you guys shutting down theaters and not supporting us and everybody's not able to work but we can't get any compensation or anything else it had a direct correlation with the the upping of the money to it was 1.57 billion uh, pound um, that's a lot at, which is amazing that was uh, we had a hand in that we kind of doing bits and pieces we got a government grant to then build a platform to allow freelancers to get found by their skill set so we have transferable skills kim you're a novelist you're a writer you're also a journalist you're also a teacher you also have an incredible bank of skills that you can use to work across different verticals and that's what we are doing here is building a platform that allows people to, and not just here, anywhere around the world, really, to, to kind of go, I want this profile that says, yes, I was a sound technician, mm -hmm. but I can also work in voiceovers on a video game. Do you need something done? Do you need something mixed or whatever? I'll, I'll do that. In the first instance, employers are able to go on our site and anyone who's a member of the new site, which launches next month, will be able to go on and say, this is my skills. I'm available to work here, any, you know, anywhere in the, in the States, it doesn't, you know, remotely anything. And these, this is my skill set and they can be found through their availability and their skill set. That's what we've been given a government grant to help people. I continue to do things. Kim, I have, when we talk about writing, I feel like I'm talking about me a lot, Kim. This is really weird. This is the um, point. <laughs> 
the uh, the other thing is uh, I took at Durham University. I studied English, got my um, honors degree. I don't know how that happened, but I did. One of the things I did was children's literature because I'm a massive fan of YA and children's literature. I think it is the most. It can be some of the most impressive. When I say impressive, I don't mean gargantuan, but impressionable, you know, um, forms of writing where the things I kept the most were things like Rich Terabithia I read as a, as a you know, as, a, as mm-hmm. a young adult, you know, things I read as a young adult that stayed with me. So I did that module and um, instead of writing a thesis, you could start writing a novel. You had to write the first three chapters of a novel. And I found it, Kim. And I've kept it. It is 25 years old. This 25-year-old piece of, you know, the paper that was used to be connected. Yeah. So I had a ream of that. And like the first three chapters of this book, and I reread it. I thought, actually, this is okay. So over lockdown, I took a time. I was like, I'm going to rewrite these first three chapters and the prologue. And that's what I've done. So I've woken up, got a cup of coffee, had a banana, and I've started going through and writing these this uh, this book. It is terrifying. I don't know how you do it because I've got to the end. <laughs> on the new next chapter I'm going I've got my postcards oh they're just over there mm-hmm. with my story beats and things and I'm terrified continuing again my big ego that says John you totally you should do, do this, this. And my self-belief which is on the floor when it comes to that you can do this I'm telling you right now just push through yeah. and I admire you for using the beat cards right I don't do that. I should. I mean, gosh. Anyway, see, that's why you, that's why you, you can do it. And I. No, no, no. I, say, I should Ooh. be doing what you're doing, but my brain just doesn't work that way. So that, thank God it doesn't. Thank God we're all slightly different. Right. I'm, and so that's kind of where I've been doing in lockdown, helping Jack record his album. And, and, you know, and I found music, Kim, again, in lockdown. Thank God. Again. So my silver linings is like, I have to wake up when I wake up and grateful. Mm-hmm. And if you're not feeling great, write a gratitude list. It is such a phenomenally empowering thing to do. And you don't, because basically you, you can go, I'm not going to finish my gratitude list until I get to the bottom of the page. And then you're going to realize that you've got so much to live for. Mm-hmm. Anyone start with, I'm alive. I'm breathing. Even if you're ill, if you have... I'm alive right now in this instant, I'm alive. I either loved or am loved by someone. Mm-hmm. You know, you can start with these two basic things. So, you know, gratitude list grows, but I'm grateful for COVID for making me stop because I was going a million miles an hour. I flew back from New York because of curtain call. We were in the Broadway tech accelerator. I was meeting all these people. We're going to have to pitch to 115 investors, all these kind of things. And then COVID comes and you have to stop and you kind of start breathing and you're spending time with the family and you're going, you know, I forgot what it was like to play music with Jack and Sammy. Sammy wrote an insane song. And I mean, he, he is 12 years old. He was just 12 when he wrote a song called Melody. And it's a song that I would have loved to have written. I've heard it and it's amazing. It's so good. If you go on my SoundCloud page, you can find it there. And then, you know, Jack's written, I've written four songs in lockdown. I haven't written four songs in, in 20 years, Kim. I haven't had time to sit down and write four songs. And so playing them with Jack and then working on his Twitch stream as well. So I've kept myself busy in lockdown. And now coming out of lockdown, we're only just now in England, mm-hmm. starting to come out of lockdown. Six months later, nearly six months later, we're just really, the schools started the whole easing of the lockdowns. And I'm doing a podcast with one of my 
great, great, great friends. So <laughs> tell me, speaking of podcasts, and thank you for that. I hope you're referring to me and not someone else. So you. Okay. Tell me about <laughs> your podcast and rankings. I mean, New York Times, that's pretty big, right? Yeah. So out of curtain call, you know, it started with a book. I wrote the book. Matt took the photographs and I, I, I did all the, you know, and thank you to Lou Humphrey as well. Matt's wife who helped me transcribe a ton of interviews. She is a goddess. We just had all this audio content and we've started doing it. We started making a podcast of it. And, you know, it's been going for four years. And we've got about 200 episodes online. And um, just at the beginning of lockdown, we had just finished a series with Come From Away. We got access to all of the creatives, including David Hine and Irene Zankoff, you know, the, with the choreographer, with uh, with the director, Christopher Ashley, with the arranger and the musical director, and and then all of the cast. And then it, it even got to talk to the, some of the Broadway cast and, and got to go watch it on Broadway. And thank you, Sue and Randy, for getting us there. So we did this amazing series called Welcome to the Rock. And I say it's amazing. It's not because of me. It's because this is the true story of what happened behind the story of airplanes that had to land in Gander and Canada on 9-11. So 7,000 people landed that day and they had to be taken. It almost, I mean, Gander's only got 9,000 inhabitants. So kind of double, I think that's about right. Hmm. And I got to talk to all the real people, the real sheriff and Oz Fudge. And I got to talk to all of the people that were there. I was able to interview them. And I so I put together the six episode series and then that went out and New York Times absolutely loved it. Right at the beginning of lockdown, put out a top six theater podcast. That's so and cool. It was one of them, which just, I'm blown away. And they didn't even write, they didn't say we're, we're doing this. I found out about it. Well, listening today on Broadway, they mentioned, and we, we love those guys today on Broadway, uh, James Marino, Matt Tamini, and now Ashley. They talked about it and they were like, did you see that Curtain Call came out in New York Times as one of the top theater podcasts? I went, what? I just, what? What? Ah, yeah, it was great. So I'm so proud. I, just, I, 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 I flipped. I think I woke Tat up and I said, listen to this. Oh, it was crazy. If, if everyone's here, the beeping, it's WhatsApp because it was soccer day today and my son got a new person on their soccer team. So they've been added to the WhatsApp <laughs> and all the, it, I'm just I'm hearing these ding, 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 ding. It's because the parents are now been on the WhatsApp channel. WhatsApp, I love it, but it's also the bane of my existence at the moment. So I have a question. Yeah. You talked about what you would tell your younger self. What about words of wisdom for hopeful actors? You touched on encouraging young actors to come over to England. So what other words of inspiration could you offer to hopeful actors in the industry? I'd say, I'd say, you know, I'd say look at England as, as a place. We've now live in a global society. So be, I, I self-tape all the time. So I'm putting myself on tape for projects that are filming. I mean, I have over the last five years, whatever. I filmed in, in Belgium, Prague, in Amsterdam, Germany. And, you know, I've, and I've worked in France and Spain and Portugal. And that's where you go. And of course, England. I would just say, don't limit yourself to being anywhere. And also just get the experience. It does not matter. You know, if you're wanting, look, theater is not going to come back in its guys for a long time. So support your local theater, amateur dramatics or whatever, you know, just get in there. I did. And I still do. My local amateur dramatics, I help them out and we'll host an evening or we'll do their Blackheath Does Broadway or whatever, you know, because I, I love it. Study, read books, read memoirs of, of actors. And, and don't watch the stuff that everybody goes, oh, you have to watch this. Because, you know, go back and watch the classics and watch the things that you like, not what people think you should watch. I am not a massive fan of horror or thriller or CSI. I mean, everybody's like, you got to watch it. I've never watched an episode of CSI. It's not saying I wouldn't take a, a job on it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I like watching what I like watching. So I'll continue to watch it and I will study 
see it. And I'll go, that was a really good choice they made there. I would say get a voice reel. Your voice is a tool. Actors that don't have a voice reel are basically missing one of uh, the arrows that should be in their quiver. So do that. Write to people. Send a letter to somebody's agent and just say, I really appreciated that performance. It was great. Because you never, you just never know what you're going to get back. If you have a question, ask somebody. If you thought that Martin Sheen did a you know, particularly good thing, just write to his agent and say, please pass this on. But also just know who you are. This is advice that you can th- take or not. Like it's not going to bother me if you think I'm talking a load of bollocks, as they say over here in England. Um, <laughs> but it is, I take it or leave it. But I am who I am. I play various degrees of John Schwab. Okay. I can, I'm very elastic and I can go this way or that way, but I'm not going to try and be a Jude Law or Christian Bale. I'm not going to try and be any of the guys who are kind of around my age, you know, they're slightly older than me or whatever, but you know, I'm not going to try and be those guys. I am me. I'm just going to play to what nth degree do I need to go that fits this role. If I know who I am, I can tell my agent, I don't think I'm right for that role. Or can we just give this one a miss? Again, it's my power of no, it's the power I've got because I don't want to waste casting director's time right. and agent's time. And I would also say, write a diary. Keep that diary of anyone that you've met in the business. Write down what you've done when you met them, when you met them, because you're building a bridge. I tell everybody effective networking, if you can build the bridge halfway to a potential contact, they've got less to travel to get to you. So if you say, yeah, well, we met on this day and they will go, oh God, you know, well, remember, that's great. Do that. And I always knew. So like, you know, Kubasaki, I always knew my Kubasaki friends were going to be the ones that stuck with me. And I have pulled back from that. You know, I've been mentally well, you know, in the past 10, 15 years, I went really extremely low people and broke myself. But Kubasaki friends has remained constant. That's why. So find what your constant is, your bubble, feed that and nourish that relationship because you find your find your tribe and freaking stay with it man yeah and so that was my last question for you was how kubasaki helped shape you and you basically just answered it i look at our little test tube of students we were all shoved in this test tube all braces all classes all backgrounds all religions granted there were some little tiny clicks but we all stuck together and we all loved one another because we all had the same thing in common our parents moving like crazy and us having to co- even figure out you know where we were going next and that is the bond that basically held us together that still binds us you know i cannot you know when you talked earlier here here's the thing you talked earlier and said is there is there a time you go back if i could go back and tell a younger self and it would go back to my 13 year old self and go the next four years are going to be the best years of your life don't forget it because those Friday nights and Saturday nights we spent at your house eating cookies with you, me, Scott, like everyone. We have weekly Zoom meetings now and and they've really come for, you know, in lockdown, people needed to connect. And I sit there and look at the screen and I look at the problems that are happening in America and I look on the screen and there is black, white, yellow, brown, everything in between, every race, Japanese, Filipino, people who live in Germany and America and Japan and, and Hawaii and everything. And I see all these colors and people don't care because they are, are a good human and a good heart. And I know this sounds horribly twee and whatever, but it's not people. I, and I've, I was able to raise my kids with what I learned on Okinawa on a, on the smallest Island where we were stuck, but gloriously stuck. Mm-hmm. And we had to get along with each other. If we disagreed, we had to work through it because we were going to see each other forever, right. you know, and have anywhere to run away to. <laughs> so no one cared about what 
anyone looked like or sounded like it was what was in their heart. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's what they instilled in us in Okinawa. It's why we all still are so strong together. And my kids, when my son was describing someone in his class and we could not figure out who he was talking about, I was like, it was the girl, you know, the girl with the curly hair. And she's, she's always um, does this. And I was, we were going, who, who is the girl? He's like, yeah, she's got the dark curly hair. I was like, I think her mom's name is Bridget. And I was like, Tandaway, you're talking about Tandaway. She's a black girl. He did not describe her is black. I love it. She had the dark curly hair. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, we've done it right. And hopefully, hopefully that's, that's going to carry. I 100% agree with you. In teaching at the university, I look at my room and there's a class on multiculturalism. It's the one time in a semester, I know, right, that I get to get up on my soapbox and use my background as a platform. And just talk about, you know, I don't believe in us versus them. I don't believe in we can't agree to disagree. And so I try to teach these kids that you're going to come across people that they have to report on because it's story writing and media journalism class. Oh, yeah. Gosh. That you have to report on and you have to delve into who they are and major inclusivity here, right? With no bias. Even if you have a subconscious bias, you got to figure that out and leave it at the door. Kind of like walking into the West Wing, leave that crap outside the door, right? And so I've been the minority. I've been in the majority and everywhere in between. And I see all these perceptions. So we're trying to drop those perceptions and really step into where you are so that you come from such a pure place. And I love that I get to do that. And I love that we've raised our kids that way. I just I get passionate about it because it's the condition of the heart. And and I wish we could just love. Yeah, it's achievable. You know, if people just uh, get out of the way of themselves. Yeah, it's ego, isn't it? Of course it is. Yeah. Kubasaki, dragon family, my dragon fam, uh, my Oki fam. You know, I. I love them. It's going to be my my next tattoo or one of my next tattoos. That's my last question for you. Where's your tattoo? Okay. So (laughs) I have a tattoo. It's uh, on my left wrist. It's a Celtic Trinity knot. And it symbolizes a lot of things. It's the, it's, you know, almost every culture has something like, if you Google the Trinity knot, it's a triangle and a circle, like, but it's, it's kind of a knot. It's a never ending kind of loop. You can keep tracing it. You know, it has Christian people use it as a Holy Trinity. It's like father, mother, child, it's everything else. I am, huh, what on Wednesday, the 9th of September. And this is something you, gosh, Kim, I don't even know if you know this, but I'm going to say this and I, I'm okay for to go on the podcast. I'll be four years sober on the 9th of September. I do know this. So this is also, it reminds me, because it kind of looks like an AA symbol, an Alcoholics Anonymous symbol. But, you know, I didn't want to tattoo an an AA tattoo on me because I'm not going to say I'm never going to drink again. You know, I will say I'm I'm not going to drink today, you know, because I know if I'm not honest with myself where that can lead. It's just a reminder. It kind of reminds me of AA. And I, you know, I went to, I went to rehab and I did a residential program, 28 days, and it saved my life, Kim. Uh, It honestly saved my life. Did it save my marriage? Yes, of course it did. Was it really in trouble? The love wasn't in trouble, like the the structure of it was because of me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's that tattoo, you know. And, and anyone who's struggling out there with it, you know, just, just pick up the phone. It weighs less than a bottle, and it will it it has it offers so much more help. And also, anyone who thinks somebody is struggling, just ask them how they are. That's all they need, you know. Mm-hmm. Just ask them how they are. I'm I said to myself, if I get to three years, I'm gonna get myself a tattoo. Uh, there are three people. Again, the triangle for me is is Jack, Tat, and Sammy, and that circle is forever. That's what it means to me. It's not an AA tattoo, but it kind of comes from 
that place. It kind of, so anyway, the next one's going to be just the coordinates of Pensacola GPS coordinates that just go just off it to kind of go, that's home. But I'm going to get uh, a tattoo on this, on this wrist, which is the Okinawa symbol, which is the circle inside a circle. I, and maybe even a Tori. I've got a couple of people who are designers and I, I might want to get like some a really cool original. That's really, really cool. Thank you so much for being transparent and sharing that part of you. I wasn't going to ask because yeah. I think right after you came out of rehab, you and I talked on the phone four years ago. And um, I remember. Yeah, it was a very vulnerable time for you. So I was honored that you were able to share that. And, and I love that you're at the place where you can share that with anyone that needs the encouragement if they're struggling. So thank you. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Like, my pleasure. And again, thank you for, again, gratitude, guys. Like, gratitude. I came out, we talked. You had no idea because I didn't talk to you. You had no idea that I was struggling because I just didn't want, I wanted to, to know. So um, thank you again for, uh, for, for listening. That's all I, all I can say about that. <laughs> well, I'm going to sign off here. Just let everyone know that if they are unaware of who John Schwab is, most of the world should by now. He's had enough acting credits and projects out there. If they're not, you should look him up on Twitter. And yeah. Give us your Twitter real quick, John. Everything. Twitter is at John Schwab, J-O-H-N-S-C-H-W-A-B. And, um, you know, uh, if you look up on Instagram, I'm terrible at Instagram. I should be better. You know, you know, if I'm shooting, because that's when I start putting things on Instagram. <laughs> so I kind of save it for the trailer. I, I do trailer shots and then I, I do things. So I will be doing a few things coming up uh, in, in the next month or so. So when um, we sign off, I'm going to ask you about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, at, and then uh, on Twitter and, uh, and on Instagram. And um, it's not... John Schwab band. That's the other John Schwab out there, the John Schwab band, but at John Schwab is me. S-C-H-W-A-B for those that don't know how to spell Schwab. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. I really, it's a pleasure and an honor. I'm so happy that you're podcasting. I love the fact that you're doing it because you are a creative person. I know that you just carry on and you'll get some amazing guests and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing all of them. So uh, well done you. Proud to be your friend. I'm proud to proud be your, to be your brother be. from another mother. I'm proud to have a, another sister. Amen to that. One of these days we'll actually get to see each other in person. I know. Soon, soon, soon. This is Kimberly McKay from A Novel Thought. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day and look forward to our next uplifting guest on A Novel Thought. Thank you.